Super Talk Mississippi media production. You're listening to Sports Talk Mississippi On Demand, presented by Pearl River Resort. Escape to Choctaw, Mississippi and enjoy world-class gaming, the Dancing Rabbit Golf Club, and Geyser Falls Water Park. Escape to Pearl River Resort. The, uh, the sports news did not end when Sports Talk Mississippi concluded yesterday. There has been quite a bit of activity over the last 21 hours, and we are here for it. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad, thank you for being with us. We're glad to have you along for the ride on this Tuesday afternoon. You can be part of the show on the C Spire text line. As you well know, that number is 601-879-4395. If you don't have it saved in your phone, do that. Just save it as a Super Talk text line. You can shoot us a message. You can shoot Gallo or the JT Show or Rebecca a message anytime while we're on the air, and we'll see it. 601-879-4395. Be honest. You know your business deserves better, so get better with a C Spire business internet and phone bundle backed by real support. See how C Spire can power your success today at cspire.com slash business. What's up, boys? Oh, you know, not really a whole lot going on around here. I don't know what you're talking about. I mean, I guess there's Monday Night Football and uh, a, a whole lot of... Nothing else. This will be a great day for every fan because every every team's got a story today. Every plenty, team plenty has of a equal story. Time. I, I can assure you, if you're a Mississippi State fan that says you only talk about Ole Miss, well, no, not today. We got you covered today. If you're an Ole Miss fan that says you only talk about Mississippi State, then we got you covered also. And if you happen to be a Southern Miss fan that goes, well, you never talk about Southern Miss. Got you covered as well. You've got the biggest story, I think. So there we go. I, I tend to agree with you, and I think that's where we start today. News, big, big, big news out of Hattiesburg. By the way, all guests on Sports Talk Mississippi appear on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Luke Johnson will join us in just a little while for his uh, weekly or biweekly chat, and it certainly is timely today. We've talked a lot about Scotty Walden this year. He became the youngest Division I head coach earlier this season when he was named interim head coach at Southern Mississippi. He is no longer the interim head coach at Southern Mississippi because he is now the head coach at Austin P. Austin P. has navigated the 2020 season without its coach, Mark Hudspeth, name you recognize, who resigned before the start of the season due to personal reasons. The Clarksville Leaf Chronicle reported that Hudspeth was already serving a 20-day suspension from June 17th to July 10th for conduct that is clearly contrary to the character and responsibilities of a person occupying the position of head football coach and which negatively or adversely affects the reputation of the university or its athletic programs in any material way. I think that quote came from the university president. Scotty Walden after really some interesting news that came, I guess, late yesterday or early today from the uh, Sun-Herald, Patrick McGee had the story, that uh, that pointed to Southern Miss being competitive among its Conference USA foes in terms of salary, I think Scotty Walden kind of read the writing on the wall, realized he was not going to get the head coaching job long-term at Southern Miss, and decided to take advantage. I mean, there's, you know, pick your old-timey cliche, strike while the iron's hot. 
bird in a hand is better than two in the bush, whatever it is. Scotty Walden is leaving to become the head coach at Austin P. And that means that for the second time this year, there is a head coaching change during the season. As Southern Miss assistant Tim Billings will be the third head coach this season. Pete Thamel of Yahoo Sports tweeted earlier today, Walden, quote, will leave immediately, and Southern Miss assistant Tim Billings will be the school's third head coach this season. Southern Miss confirmed the news via tweet, or I guess at their website, southernmiss.com, where they outlined the staff changes. Wow. Yeah, and this so, is it's a crazy story because 2020 is insane, right? And this is just another example of that. But I think it is worth noting that this isn't a typical year for Austin P. I don't think in a regular year that this would have happened, but they have a game in February. Austin P does. They have a season that starts in February, basically. I know they played a couple of games earlier, but they have a game scheduled for February, so they needed their guy to come in and coach right away. If he's still in Hattiesburg for the next few weeks, he's got to go to Austin P and then, I mean, immediately start training camp. So... It's a unique situation, but I think that is worth pointing out that Austin P does have a season that begins here in a couple months. And yeah, you're absolutely correct. But one thing that I'm, I'm interested or find maybe humorous almost is that Scotty Walden tested positive for COVID. So did he interview in quarantine? Has he been to Austin P to talk to people, or has he done it all online via Zoom and things of that nature? Would what it surprise you if a head coach was hired in 2020 via Zoom? At this point, literally nothing would surprise me. But that's sort of I mean that's the only way I can figure it out. That he's been he 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 interviewed while in quarantine. I, I think there are a lot of different ways to look at this. First of all, Scotty Walden made the decision that was best for his family and for himself. And so it makes sense that he is wearing the interim tag that Southern Miss is 1-4 and four on the season, that he had to miss a game this past week because of COVID, uh, COVID and just gave it a new name, uh, after he tested positive for COVID and quarterback Jack Abraham wasn't there, assumingly for the, the same reason. And this era that was supposed to be kind of an on-the-job tryout just hasn't gone partly for no fault of his own the way that he would have hoped. And if you're smart and you're able to read the room and you've had conversations with your AD and it's likely that you are not going to get the head coaching job and an opportunity presents itself to be a head coach, then you got to take advantage. And my assumption would be that Austin P said, you know, we're willing to hire you, but you got to come now. At 30 years old, Scotty Walden is now officially the youngest head coach at the Division I level. Here's what um, Gerald Harrison, the athletics director at Austin P said. Today we welcome one of the most energetic and innovative young coaches in the country to lead our football team. And Coach Walden, we found a man who's passionate about the student-athlete experience, energized about being part of the university and Clarksville, Montgomery County community, and excited to join us in our relentless pursuit of excellence. There's more there, but, I mean, it's what you would expect to hear in a, uh, a quote from an AD about a new hire. 
He's going to be officially announced on Monday, November 2nd, as the next head coach at Austin P. Is there an argument to be made that this, um, the task of finding a new head coach just became a little bit easier for Jeremy McLean? That, that he doesn't have to navigate the whole, yeah, but we've got an interim that is a young, hotshot offensive mind who is thought highly of in coaching circles? And then, you, you know, you run the – this sounds funny to say when I say you run the risk of winning games, but you do run the risk of him at the end of the season getting hot and winning two or three, four games in a row and having that, that momentum, and he's just not the guy that you feel is right for the program, and then you have to sort of explain your way around that, and the, and the players want him. And it, Yes, I, I think that his, his job got a little bit easier finding a, a real head coach for Southern Mississippi. Billings, Tim uh, Billings is the defensive coordinator, fifth season with the program in Hattiesburg. Uh, he will be the uh, head coach. I, I think it's safe to say that Tim Billings, and, and this is no slight of Coach Billings, I, I don't know him, really don't know much about him, but he's not going to be the head coach at Southern Miss. Jay Hobson resigned following the season opening 32-21 loss to South Alabama. Scotty Walden has been on the sideline for three games, losses to Louisiana Tech and Tulane, and a win over North Texas, and then missed the game against Liberty due to a COVID-19 diagnosis. Southern Miss additionally has had two games postponed this year, their trip to UTEP and their home game against FAU. So it's just kind of a weird deal all the way around. Hopefully we'll talk to Jeremy McLean in the uh, the not-too-distant future. And I'm going to say, hey, Jeremy, in 10 words or less, could you sum up 2020? <laughs> Gracious. Hi. Any other thoughts before we get to Luke in about 20 minutes on, on this and what it means for Southern Miss? The fascinating piece here is the, the potential, not the potential, McLean said as much, willingness to double what Hobson was making to get yeah. the right guy. The financial That's, commitment is a huge component, especially considering what everybody's dealing with right now. So they've either secured some kind of commitment from somebody that's got some financial backing or they're they're just going to go all in. But I think that's the fascinating part about this. Not so much that Walden's gone, even though it's a unique story. It's that they're willing to pay up. Fans were asking about this when Hobson stepped down. I mean, we got a few texts. They're never going to hire a guy if they're still paying 500k. Well, that's not the case anymore. Wonder what that does to the candidate pool. You would that's think expands it expands it a little bit. Yeah. Looks like they're going to be more like in the 750 to a million dollar range. So we'll see. Lane Kiffin has made waves and there is news out of Starkville. We'll get to that next. All right. Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Ceasefire text line 601 879 4395. So let's go to some of your responses. Uh, here's one. This from, comes from a number on the coast. It says, My godson is an assistant at Austin P, and they've been told no coaches will be held over. Okay. Um, Kimball says, I'm an MSU fan, good for Scotty. I like him. I think he will make a good head coach. Is Austin P the right place? 
I thought like that's a good program. It, yeah, it, it, you know, only three conference championships all time. But Will Healy, who is now the head coach at Charlotte, was a young and attractive head coach who really did a nice job kind of building things in the right direction. There's a pretty cool documentary out there about him. And uh, who was it that was involved in that? It was uh, a guy from Nashville that used to be on Sirius XM a lot. Uh, I can't think of his name. Anyway. Pretty interesting backstory. You know what I'm talking about, hey Dad? I, I, yeah, and it's on the tip of my tongue. It, it's not. It's not Barrett Salee. It's uh, oh, there's Childers? another guy. Anyway, who? Chris Childers? No, not Chris Childers either. Um, I used to do a po- it, or I was I used to produce their podcast. I can I know who you're talking about. Go ahead though. Go ahead. It's it's irrelevant. Yeah. So Will Healy got that job. Then they hired Mark Hudspeth, and in 2019. Mark Hudspeth led Austin P to the quarterfinals of the FCS playoffs. They won the Ohio Valley Conference, went 7-1 and in league play, and finished the year 11-4. and He inherited what Will Healy left behind. They beat Furman 42-6 in the first round of the playoffs. They beat Sacramento State and then ultimately lost in the quarterfinals 24-10 to Montana State. And then obviously 2020 happened, and basically they've shut it down. And Borky pointed out a second ago that they are scheduled to be one of the programs that plays in the spring. So, yeah, I think Austin P is a job that a guy like Scotty Walden looks at and goes, okay, there's some players on that roster, they've had recent success, and that is a place that has sprung um, sprung a couple of coaches forward. Now, it sprung one right out of college football, but it was a – Launch pad for Will Healy. Yeah, Braden Gall's the guy I was trying to come up with a second ago. Thanks, Adeth. All right. Yes. I was driving yeah, you crazy. That, that, that's exactly who it was. Documentary that they did about Will Healy when he was at Charlotte. Cool stuff. So, yeah, I mean, I think it's probably a good landing spot for Scotty Walden, especially with what he's going to do offensively. And if he goes to Austin P and has success for a couple of years, then he will have the opportunity to move up. Will Healy's name came up in, you know, various coaching searches this past year after just one season at Charlotte. So I think that is realistic. So some other comments that uh, that some of you had, most of them centered around a name that is certainly familiar here in the state of Mississippi, and that is Hugh Freeze. Greg Nettleton says, when mama calls, get your rear end home, Freeze. Here's one that says USM needs to hire Freeze. Um, let, let's think about this logically for a second. And this is just being as honest as I can possibly be. Hugh Freeze would have to take, let's just say they go crazy on the money, crazy within reason, and, and decide that they're able to pay a million and a quarter, so $1.25 million. That would still be a $750,000 pay cut for Hugh Freeze. Southern Miss would also have to significantly, significantly upgrade the resources they have for staff. And I'm led to believe that for Hugh Freeze to have even a little bit of interest, if he were to take a massive pay cut, 
that the total compensation package for an entire staff was going to be in the neighborhood of $3 million. That's a big ask. Now, it's possible that there's somebody with really, really, really deep pockets who said, go get whoever you want and we'll, we'll underwrite. And if that's the case, that's fantastic news for Southern Miss. But again, going back to the Hugh Freeze thing, you're assuming that a man who spent a couple of years, well, what, a full season, maybe it was a couple of seasons out of work, who walked away from $16 million as the coach at Ole Miss, is going to voluntarily take a three-quarters of a million-dollar pay cut or more just for the sake of, quote-unquote, coming home. Okay, that, on the surface, doesn't make sense. And number two, Hugh Freeze is winning, and he's winning big at Liberty. They are undefeated. And Hugh Freeze's name is going to come up for other jobs. If it's this year, so be it. If it's next year, probably even better for Hugh Freeze because another year has gone by. There's more water under the bridge, so to speak. He is a year farther removed from whatever happened at Ole Miss in the SEC. I just don't, I don't, not that I don't know. I just don't want to rehash it all right now. <laughs> and so on, on, on a lot of levels, it just doesn't make sense. But financial is the biggest reason. Um, Josh says next hire should be Todd Munkin or Hugh Freeze. I don't believe you come home again. I don't, I don't see Munkin coming back. Todd Munkin's been there, done that. Also, you talk about money again. If he's probably making a lot more as the offensive Is he making $2 million as an offensive coordinator at Georgia? I can look it up. Got a device right here. Tim and McGee says, I think Hugh Freeze is too embarrassed to come back to Mississippi. I may be wrong, just your opinion. Um, 1.1 mil for Munkin. Okay, million one. I, um, I don't think that's it, Tim. If there's anything I've learned about Hugh Freeze, it's that uh, his ego knows no bounds. There is no embarrassing Hugh Freeze, I don't think. You said that, not me. I said that. I'm sure he'll DM me later. Strider in Indianola says, stop, stop bursting the mustard buzzards bubble, Richard. Oh. But you don't have to be a retread. I, I know he's a good football coach. He's a very good football coach. But he comes with some baggage. And the way... He's still going about some of his business. He hadn't learned anything from what happened in Oxford. And so do you really want to be the school that hires damaged goods just for the sake of winning? Or do you want to take the Arkansas State model? Or, I mean, you can look at Memphis, even though there's some stuff about There's something to that, though. There's something about making that splash. And, you know, not the same situation at all. But think about Mississippi State when they hired Jackie Sherrill. Everybody, you know... Always he had been involved with some NCAA stuff, but yeah, I'm not State talking about the NCAA to, with you though. I, I, I know that, but uh, you kind of are. But State needed to make a splash at that time, and so they went out and got the best guy available. Is Freeze the best guy available? You can make a pretty strong argument. Yeah, that that he's the absolute ceiling that Southern Miss could get. Hugh Freeze is a good football coach. Just period. He's just a good football coach. He's not a perfect football coach, but he's a really good football coach. 
And yes, he is a Southern Miss graduate. And yes, he's got strong ties to the state of Mississippi. And yes, he has had success in Mississippi. I don't even think it's about baggage. I think it's just you can't get you can't get him. Probably that too. But if you could, I, I wouldn't. I would. There, there are other programs at your level that have done it a different way, and it's worked for them. That's true. You get a message that says, "What about Bryles? I hope you're talking about Kendall and not Art. The Art thing's not happening. We've already seen that once." But see, and Kendall's got, you know, there's some stuff there too, not just the last name. But that, to me, would be something that I would feel more comfortable with because that's the Appalachian State model, that's the Arkansas State model, that's the Memphis model, Georgia Southern as well, even though they had a couple of down years, they've been a very good program for a long time, and they're not going out and hiring damaged goods from another program. They're getting a capable, quality, young, energetic coach, and if they leave after two or three years, good. That's fine, because you won, and we can go get the next guy. I, I just... There's something about getting somebody that brings a lot of stuff that might still be there with them when other schools at your exact level. I mean, look at the facility Arkansas State just finished. It's beautiful, the renovation they've done to their stadium. It's nicer than what Vanderbilt's got. Arkansas State has a better facility than at least one SEC program. They've done that by not hiring the retread guy that got fired from somewhere else. They did it by building with, with and it started with Hugh Freeze and Gus Malzahn, but yeah. that's the kind of program, if I were Jeremy McLean, I would want to build. I would want to do it the way Arkansas State did. A lot of folks, folks suggesting Will Hall. I think that'd be a great that's haul. That's a good choice. Uh, a great hire. That would be a great choice. You know, can, can, can you get Will Hall away from Tulane? Yeah, maybe so. To be a head coach? Yeah. In his home state? Maybe so. Get Ty Keys to come with, maybe. Maybe so. Um, Derek Nick's name should be out there. We'll talk more about that. Luke Johnson will join us next on the Farm Bureau phone line. Back with you on Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, Brian Haydad, and now Luke Johnson, co-host of the Eagle Hour on Supertalk Hattiesburg, Supertalk Laurel. He joins us on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. Obviously a news-heavy day in Hattiesburg, Luke, as uh, we get the announcement that uh, Scotty Walden is taking the Austin P head coaching job and uh, Tim Billings will be the second interim head coach and the third head coach of the season for the Golden Eagles. Kind of a crazy day. Yeah, I thought it was going to be a normal Tuesday, and then about 10, 30, 11, started getting word what was going on. And I've been trying to process this in two ways. Number one is just objectively, and kind of everything I process at Southern Miss, my default is to process it as a former player. And as a former player, man, it stinks. Um You've been getting the message, you know, that unity is the secret and, you know, you, you got to grind this thing out, rolling this together, and you look up and the second time this season, um, the guy you look to for leadership uh, is no longer there. Uh, objectively, and I think you guys said it a little earlier, I think the process, it, this decision today does help Southern Miss going forward uh, because you don't have to worry about hypotheticals. You don't have to worry about uh, putting Scotty Walden in a position where if he were to win games and you just decided to part ways where – you know, you get into that sticky situation. And I think it's freeing uh, kind of, and it's good on every level except the actual guys that go out and play um, because you just wonder. Uh, I, I said it today on the Eagle Hour, you know, the, the glue in the locker room, 
Um, once it's together, man, it's a great thing. But once it starts coming loose, it's a hard thing to put back together. And so some of those guys who are seniors and, you know, leaders on that team are just going to have to encourage their teammates. There is something to still to play for. And what's crazy, y'all, Southern Miss is one in four, and their destiny to win the West is still in their hand. That's how wild it is in 2020. Yeah, certainly, um, certainly a, a year unlike any other. Um, this probably made sense for Scotty Walden, right? I mean, I'm, I'm assuming that when Austin P made the offer, it was not a, hey, you can get back to us in a month or so and see how things plays out. It's we're offering you the opportunity to be the head coach. Interim will not be beside your name. And with a future that is what was uncertain at best and maybe based on the reporting from Patrick McGee at the Sun-Herald yesterday, becoming more and more clear, it sounds like it was probably kind of a no-brainer for Scotty Walden. We've got Jeremy McLean on the Eagle Hour tomorrow, and one of the things I'm going to ask him is, you know, was this something that was dropped on a Tuesday morning or were there conversations beforehand? you you got to think from Jeremy's statement today where he, you know, was pretty encouraging and positive about Scotty Walden that, you know, that they had at least maybe mentioned this in passing, don't have confirmation on that. Um, but, yeah, it, it seems like the timeline is where when Jeremy came out yesterday and said that they wanted to be in the top five in Conference USA in head coach and uh, – or that top half, I should say, in, in, of Conference USA and head coach salary and assistant salary pool, you, you knew at that moment that Scotty Walden was not the head coach, was not going to be the head coach. And this is a guy – I don't think a lot of people in Mississippi realize before he was named interim head coach, he was only making $110,000. That's a public record. Um, yeah. And so when you have that much that much boost, uh, when Jeremy has that many resources at his, uh, you know, where he can go out and get his guy, it was pretty apparent. And so um, looking back on it, it was a shock this morning, but it makes sense now. I, again, I just I'm trying to process it for these players because that that's the hardest part of it all. The, uh, the statement in the release from Southern Miss on their website, southernmiss.com, from Jeremy McLean was this, we're excited for Scotty and his family as they begin this new journey, and we wish them nothing but the best. As we adjust, I've asked Tim Billings to take over the interim head coach role, and I have full confidence in his ability to successfully lead our team for the rest of the season. So back in September, very beginning of September, when – um, Scotty Walden was named interim head coach. We said that yeah, you probably aren't at the right time yet to start talking about candidates. But now we're at the end of October, and this season, as strange as it is, is over halfway through, and people are really now starting to look toward, okay, what are the possibilities? The first name that comes up, You've heard it. I've heard it. We've heard from different places. We've talked with each other about it as Hugh Freeze. You you told me a couple of weeks ago that that was legitimately a possibility based on kind of where things were in the season. I had my reservations, but I don't doubt you and your sourcing. It feels like that is less of a possibility at this point, doesn't it? It's almost like a non-possibility, and it just shows you how quickly the landscape can change in college football. Two weeks ago, Two and a half weeks ago when we started hearing stuff from both Virginia and South Mississippi that that was a really good possibility. Liberty was 4-0, and every week that Liberty gets another win and doesn't have a loss in that column is more leverage for Hugh Freeze, and uh, I believe more programs are reaching out to him just you know in the last uh, week and a half and 
in the last week and last few days um, than were two and a half weeks ago. Sure. And so it looks like this point that, you know, that that's not even a remote option for Southern Miss going forward. So let's talk about some of the names that, you know, I mean, not, not that these are necessarily Jeremy McLean's names, but, but there are some names that, that potentially make sense. Will Hall at Tulane, you got to believe, wants to be a head coach somewhere along the way. He's done a nice job. I, I don't know what his options are going to be, especially after this season. Is that a name that would make sense in, in your mind for Southern Miss if Will Hall was interested and they were able to get a deal done? Before you get into specific names, just a couple things to know. Jeremy wants a coach in place by the end of November. So there, there may possibly be a head coach named where there's two regular season games, FAU and UTEP, the first and second week of December, and then the conference championship, the 18th. There's going to be no search firm involved in this process, uh, and I think that's a way for them to save some money. So it's going to be Jeremy McClain's guy. You talk okay. about Will Hall, uh, Mississippi Connections, of course, and I, I think – Will Hall would not have been available had not we got the news yesterday that the that the salary and the assistant salary pool will be bumped up. I think the guys looking at this job are not just concerned what they're going to make. I think they, they want backing to know that they can go get assistant coaches where they're not yeah. the only one that's going to be making significant money uh, for a group of five school. And so Jeremy has put that forward saying we're going to do that. Will Hall, I believe, is a possibility. Rhett Lashley, uh, his first year at Miami, of course, he was at the OC at Auburn when they uh, when they lost in the national championship game. Um, he, his name's kind of surfaced before, and Miami's looking good this year. Kirk, Kirk Street, if you heard him talk about Rhett Lashley, he's really high on him um, and, and just believes he's going to be a head coach pretty quick. Uh, these, these are some names that we talked about back in September. Casey Dunn. Uh, OC at Oklahoma State. He's kind of a reach just because um, he's the assistant head coach out there, and you can see him maybe getting a Power 5 job coming up. Uh, another name that really hadn't been flashed much, but after Saturday specifically, Kane Womack, um, he played at Southern Miss. Of course, that's Dave's son. He's the defensive coordinator at Temple. Or at Temple at, at Indiana. At, uh, at Indiana, yeah. I don't On know Tom Allen's staff. At Indiana. And Tom just Allen, a and they, super guy. Yeah. And, and what people don't realize about Kane, he, he's sometimes you look at these guys and you say, okay, defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator. He didn't know the offensive side of the ball. Kane was an offensive guy that basically to take a job served on the defensive staff, and now he's been an awesome defensive coordinator. Yeah. Um, just throwing that yeah. out there in the ether. You know, if, if Kane Womack came in and you got somebody like Austin Davis to be an offensive coordinator, that would be unbelievable at Southern Miss. Yeah. I, I think the uh, somebody mentioned Kane Womack a second ago on the ceasefire text line, and I think the future is incredibly bright for uh, for him in the coaching realm, whether it's as a defensive coordinator or as a head coach one day, and whether it's in Southern Miss or somewhere else. I, I got to ask you about this name because I don't feel like it's been talked about a lot, but I do think it's a name that makes sense. One of the all time greats at Southern Miss, Derek Nix, who is now in his thirteenth year on the staff at Ole Miss. Spent a bunch of time as a running backs coach. He's worked with tight ends. He's worked with wide receivers. He has a pretty good reputation as a recruiter in the state of Mississippi. Is that a name that would excite Southern Miss fans? I believe it would. I mean, I played with Derek, and, and then he coached me. Um, I love the guy. And and when you go to – Derek Nix is one of those guys. I would not only go to war with Derek Nix, I would go to a nuclear winter and fallout with Derek Nix because he has managed – I mean – there's a reason why he's been on what four different staffs at Ole Miss, just because everybody knows the kind of pedigree he has. I, I'm not sure. I, I, I would think that, that this next coach would have at least coordinator experience. 
But, sure. you know, when you're talking a guy that can toe the line, I think Derek Nix would, would do, be great. Let me throw out one more name because of okay. the ties in. Jamie Chadwell at, at Coastal Carolina is, is on mm-hmm. the rise. I don't think people realize he only makes 320000 And Jeremy McLean actually hired Chadwell at Delta State uh, his last year there at, at um, as as athletic director, Skylar McGee is on that staff as a D line coach. I played with him at Southern Miss. He, his name's coming up a lot just because of those connections. So uh, who knows? It's wide open right now. But but you know, I think possibly from that list you'll see the finalists and the head coach emerge. And Chadwell's an interesting name because his name is getting some run. And who knows what the coaching carousel is going to look like this year, but because of the success they're having, his name is one that's kind of in the mainstream in terms of the uh, coaching carousel that uh, will spin one way or another. We just don't know how big or uh, how many seats will be on it this year. Uh, Luke, look forward to talking to you later in the week, uh, probably on Thursday, and uh, we'll see if there are any updates when we uh, when we get to that point. Bye, guys. Have a great day. That's Luke Johnson on the Farm Bureau phone line. Check out favorites.com and go with the home team, Mississippi Farm Bureau. John Harris will join us in the 5 o'clock hour today. We'll talk some NFL with him. Right now we'll take a quick time out and be back. This is Sports Talk Mississippi. We can return to the Southern Miss conversation later in the show this afternoon. If you want to do that, well, we can do it. Shoot us a message on the C Spire text line, 601-879-4395. But uh, for now, let's uh, go north from Hattiesburg, I guess north and east from Hattiesburg to Starkville, where if Brian Haydad tells you it's Easter, you better go dye your eggs. Something like that. Friday a week ago, Brian Haydad told you, Kylan Hill, not going to play. Probably not going to dress. Maybe not going to be in the stadium. He didn't play, he didn't dress, he wasn't in the stadium. I guess it was at the end of last week when Brian Haydad told you, Kylan Hill probably done at Mississippi State. And today that becomes... Official, right? Uh, not yet. Not yet. Still not officially some, still some, official? Not officially official. I saw the article from Matt Zenitz over there at AL.com, which basically, if, if you read that article, it, it was about 100 words of rehashing stuff we've talked about here and has been said on other, other media outlets. Um, but MSU has not made anything official. Reached out to MSU for, uh, you know, I know my friend Joel Coleman, who was sitting across from me when he did it, reached out to MSU for confirmation. They said Coach Leach's statement from Monday still holds, that there is no update, and that that's that. So it's not officially done yet. Kylan Hill himself tweeted something along the lines of, oh, I'm off the team, I didn't know. Uh, he then immediately deleted that tweet. So there's still drama. There's still We're still dragging along here. Uh I'm at the point with it myself where I'm just going to report whatever officially happens. If I see Colin Hill carry the ball, you'll hear about it. If I see him get kicked off the team or he decides to opt out, I'll report that as well. But so, nothing's so, so official. So the opt out for the NFL is not not official from Kylan Hill or from Mississippi State. Where did that come from? 
Well, I mean, I, Matt Zenith is a very connected reporter. He is a good reporter. So if he's got sources that are telling him that, I certainly believe him. But there has been nothing from anybody I've talked to that allows me to report that. Okay. Um. Hmm. And this is one of those things where Richard it, and and we've made I've made this comment, and I think some a friend of mine made it today. It, it would be easier to report if I didn't cover the program. Because if I didn't cover Mississippi State, if I was just Pete Thamel and I want to get to the bottom of this, I could just call Kylan Hill. And, you know, you can get in touch with Kylan and, and get his side of the story. Because I cover the university, you know, if I go go to a player and don't go through media relations, they're going to have some issues with that. So yeah, I'm sort of constrained by that, whereas somebody like Matt Zenitz, who doesn't cover Mississippi State and isn't looking to get credentialed by Mississippi State, uh, no, I understand. Sort of, he, can do, he can do his own thing on that. Matt Zenitz writes, it appears that Kylan Hill's Mississippi State career is over. It's expected that the star running back won't play again this season and that he'll just begin prepping for the NFL draft. That's what sources told AL.com. He was a 2019 first-team All-SEC selection, suspended for the team's most recent game. Suspended, I guess that's the right word. Uh, That was against Texas A&M on October 17th. Say what? That's the right word. Okay. Um, and, and for what it's worth, I believe what Matt Zenas is telling is what's going to end up being the case, that, that Kylan Hill is done at Mississippi State and that he will opt out and, and begin preparation for the draft. But I just, don't, I just don't have it official yet. In response to the story at AL.com, Kylan Hill went to social media to post his response, dang, I left the team, that's news for me also. Yeah. Since initially posting that, the response has been deleted. He'll also post it on Instagram, a similar message. So, there you go. We just keep spinning around. I can confirm that MSU had three other players uh, hit the portal or leave the team today. Three uh, others? Originally, yes, that was originally reported by my friend Paul Jones over at 24-7. Uh, offensive lineman Nick Penley, uh, quarterback Jalen Maiden, which means MSU is down to just on scholarship, K.J. Costello and Will Rogers at this point. And running back Kareem Walker are all no longer members of the MSU football team. I'm curious if Mike Leach's response to the question yesterday about Jalen Maiden being in the mix, was there any Jalen Maiden in the mix at quarterback? And he said, no, it's a two-person race between K.J. and Will, talking about K.J. Mm -hmm. Costello and Will Rogers. If he already knew that Jalen Maiden was making that decision, or if Jalen Maiden, as a result of... His head coach very openly saying, no, this is a two-person race, said, okay, that's cool, I'm out. Probably something to that. Which direction? Both. I think yeah. that Maiden was probably already on the way out, but at the same time, uh, Leach's comments probably couldn't have. If he was thinking about staying, those comments probably like, okay, maybe I need to start making some plans here. So for the three that are opting out, uh, not opting out, Entering the transfer portal, portal, any immediate impact? No, no, no. I mean, Walker was the fifth running back. Penley was a backup lineman. Uh, no, nothing, nothing yet. All right. Sports Talk Mississippi with you, streaming at supertalk.fm. There was some hilarity on the twitters.com last night. I think it was hilarity. We'll get into uh, Lane Kiffin's eventful Monday when we come back. Sports Talk Mississippi with you. 
Back with you, Sports Talk Mississippi, streaming at supertalk.fm. Richard Cross, Michael Borky, and Brian Haydad. Thanks for being with us on this Tuesday afternoon. We will return to the conversation about Kylan Hill a little bit later in the show this afternoon. Also, John Harris from the Houston Texans will be with us in the 5 o'clock hour to start things off, talk some NFL with him. We are going to get into what was a pretty entertaining weekend in the NFL yesterday. Remind you that the C Spire text line is open, 601-879-4395, 601-879-4395. Want double the data for the same dang price? Now all prepaid by C Spire plans. Get double the high-speed data through the end of the year. No bull, just better wireless. Learn more at cspire.com slash prepaid. Good to be with you. Twitter was uh, an amusing place last night, and the uh, the jester was Lane Kiffin. He, um, of course, we played the audio for you yesterday from his meeting with the media on Zoom yesterday where he said, I've talked to the SEC, I've talked to uh, John McDade, who's the coordinator of officials, I sure do wish that I could share with you talking to the media, and the fans, and my players, what was said. But I can't do that, and I'll be fine if I do. And then about the time the show finished, maybe shortly thereafter, there was an email released from the Southeastern Conference where the SEC made an announcement that Hugh Freeze was being fined $25,000 for public statements made via social media, although he didn't actually make a statement. He just retweeted a guy that said the SEC officials are terrible and there's no accountability and tags the SEC and Greg Sankey in it. And it also had a video clip of the play that was not reviewed. For their part, the SEC did say that it was a mistake that the play wasn't reviewed, though they didn't elaborate on what that review would have entailed and how it would have been ruled. I guess maybe that's too much hypothetical. So in summary, the SEC said, we messed it up, and you were fined, Lane Kiffin, $25,000 for talking about the fact that we messed it up. Fair summary? Basically. Yes. Yes. Yeah. It is kind of rich that the SEC used Twitter to admit that they screwed up and fined Lane Kiffin for using Twitter to say that they screwed up. Did I say Hugh Freeze somewhere in that did. mix? Uh, but you know he's just on the it. brain. Um, Sorry. Yeah. Look. So M- multiple multiple conversations running together. Yeah. I was talking about Lane Kiffin. I think you know I was talking about Lane Kiffin. Thank you everyone for correcting me for saying uh, Hugh Freeze, not Lane Kiffin. Yeah, they don't miss things. But as funny as I thought it was. And I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I mean, everything he did was hilarious. He's probably getting another fine, and he'll probably pay it smiling because that was hilarious yeah. last night. But while I think it's a joke, the whole situation's a joke, and the fact that the SEC's release had more words about the tweet than them screwing up tells you all you need to know about them and the way they handle things. You're going to get fined when you do stuff like that. Finding a coach in this situation is absolutely appropriate. The way he te- the way he handled it was hilarious, but 
I get why he got fined and it was warranted in this case. The SEC is still a joke. The way they handled it's a joke. But you can't let coaches get away with stuff like that. This is a great day for the state of Mississippi, by the way. United. The fan bases are united. I can't tell you, today was our mailbag podcast. I had at least three or four. Man, Lane Kiffin is making me hate Ole Miss less. What can I do to fix this? Like, I, I really like the guy. <laughs> P- people were, were people. a lot of people last night on Twitter, MSU people were like, this is a joke. Lane Kiffin is completely right to, to fight this. It, it, it's, it's really something that, you know, the, 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 is this what's going to bring us to, all the way till Thanksgiving anyway, then it'll separate like it always does. But it's been pretty interesting to see the response to it. I just got the best text message from a friend of mine. He says, I wish we could have found Hugh Freeze for his tweets. Could have saved us all a lot of money and frustration. <laughs> yeah! I wish that was on Twitter so that I could uh, tell my <laughs> friend that he just that. won the internet. He would get the savage uh, from me on that one. Yes. Uh, Saturday Down South has made a t-shirt. You know the old hat design that had the the ring with the lines running through it, and then there was oh, like yeah, a script yeah, logo in the middle yeah, of it. Yeah. Th- those, were... yeah. So that's the logo on a navy blue T-shirt. It's got a white circle with the white lines running through it, and in script in the middle it says Penny Lane, and across the top it says twenty five thousand pennies, and then on the bottom it says asterisk two hundred fifty thousand asterisk two point five mil. So. I would Last almost, night, almost buy this shirt. I, I almost would do it. It's hilarious. So, so, so here's what's happening, or happened last night. Lane Kiffin tweeted a YouTube link of a man with a wheelbarrow, and the story in the video was man pays nearly $3,000 bill using a wheelbarrow full of pennies. $25,000 was the fine. Lane Kiffin tweets, where can I find 25,000 pennies? And then he follows it up, replying to his own retweet, math maybe not his strong suit, asterisk 250,000, and then follows that up with asterisk 2.5 mil. There you go. And then quoted that and said, I was just making, or wanted the SEC to review that to make sure Check my the math, math was correct. I saw something that, that, that would be 13,000 pounds worth of, tw- of pennies. You need a Brinks truck to take those over to the SEC. And, and by the way, I thought that the, uh, the, the most clever was the one that Borky, the wording, was just checking to see if at SEC would review my math to get it right this time. After further review, it's two and a half million pennies. Thanks for stopping to get it right. He also you know made a funny? joke about his son and uh, Knox being worried about his college fund. Yeah. And uh, tweeted a picture of Knox in one of the rear hatches of the boat that he had down in Boca. By the way, if you go to the wide shot, it's one of those canals that backs up to all the houses that have yachts uh, attached to them. And it's got at least two, but I think there's probably a third motor on the back of it. Those are Yamaha 300s. It's either got twin or triple 300-horsepower outboard motors. They don't give those away. But then my favorite part of all of this was the replies to that tweet, which were a mix of, I don't get it, 
I'm struggling through this. We don't really want to have, uh, you know, feeling sorry for you. Can we help you pay for it? And you could just sell the boat. I think there are a lot of people who had that one fly right over the top of their heads. I see the first reply is a friend of mine. Where can I send you some pennies, Lane? I'll cross the rivalry line to be petty. Hmm. It's great. <sighs> He's something, man. It's funny too, is like it's like two personalities. Him, the the, the 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 Twitter persona is not him in person. In person he's pretty chill. Twitter lane and national media interview lane are one person. Mm-hmm. And then everyday lane and doing media stuff with the people that cover the team on a daily basis, that, that's a different person. Okay. Well, there you go. I think. And I think some of it is just getting to know people. True, true. Somebody made that comment to us about Leach, and they're like, you're not getting all these funny questions. And I think a lot of that is just, he doesn't know us, and we, he's not going to get the chance to because we keep doing these Zooms. It's not the same as if we were in there with him every day and we could crack some jokes or something. Yeah. So lost in all of this is what actually happened, which we spent a ton of time on yesterday. And Borky pointed this out a second ago. I mean, the SEC used more words to talk about what Lane did wrong than what their replay official did wrong, which was not stopping the game to review it. Which is still hard to wrap your mind around. It really is something. It really, it's, it's something. It, it's something that I, we've talked about a good bit over the years. I've, I've had this opinion for a while. It's not a unique one. After that game, Matt Corral, for example, had to sit in front of a bunch of media guys and answer all kinds of questions. What went wrong? What did you see? Why did you do that? They do it every week. 18 to 21-year-old kids have to sit in front of the media after they screw up on the field and tell them why they did it. The coaches, same thing, have to sit in front of a group of media and tell them why they made this bad decision or that one. But the grown adult man official doesn't have to answer to anybody, and even after he screws up, who got paid, and is still defended like he's got the nuclear codes. And they so rush we, him out of the stadium like somebody took a shot at the president. Yeah, when the game ends, they're throwing him into the car. Put him in the van, and if you're right outside the stadium, you can hear the sirens. Yeah. <laughs> get him out of there. You think Lane Kiffin will get an additional fine for his tweets last night? Yes. Or do you think that? The fine that came yesterday was because you know that it actually wasn't announced until six thirty. You think all all of that had been predetermined, or do you think they're like, hey, you got to keep your mouth shut about this? And then when he went out and said what he said without really saying anything, but really kind of saying a lot in the press conference at I don't know twelve thirty one o'clock, that they decided, you know what, go ahead and pop him for what he did on Saturday. There might be an actual revolt if they levy another fine. I mean, social media is not a barometer of anything at all. We talk about that a lot. The vast majority of people do not tweet. But there were people that have platforms that cover college football that were 
perplexed at the SEC's decision, including your best friend Dan Wolken. Even he thought that the SEC looked really bad last night. And if he uh, if he's on board, then my goodness, uh, you're, you're awful. But, I care not what he thinks. Right. Good, bad, or indifferent. But you understand my point. I, no, I do. It actually makes me question my yeah. thought process True. on this. I go, hold on now. Hold on now. I mean, multiple prominent Mississippi State media people in one way or another are – I mean, have multiple times now said the SEC looks bad here. Like, this is not good at all the way they're handling this. If they levied another fine, I honestly think the SEC would have a bad news cycle for the first time. Because last night was just funny. And everybody likes to take shots at officials and stuff like that. And I mean, you had the column that ran on AL.com, which is honestly kind of surprising when you think about it, that Auburn is the benefactor of egregious officiating mistakes and it doesn't make sense. I think if they gave Lane Kiffin another fine the SEC would invite a real, actual, negative news cycle. Yesterday was just... The, the story yesterday was Kiffin having fun and people enjoying a night online. Find him again, and for whatever it's worth, which to most people is nothing, and I tend to agree, but that's when the columns come out. That's when the stories come out. That's when the news cycle is, is the SEC unfairly punishing Lane Kiffin? Instead of the story today being Lane Kiffin has fun after he gets fined for tweeting something he shouldn't have. I don't think they're they're willing to take that on. I mean, and, and and if you're keeping score at home, five games into his return to the Southeastern Conference, Lane Kiffin has been fined one hundred and twenty five thousand dollars in one season as the head coach at Tennessee. He was reprimanded twice, and in the second reprimand, Mike Slive said an additional public reprimand will result in more and stiffer penalties, including up to suspension as head coach for a game. That was back when he was the head coach at Tennessee. Go ahead and suspend him, Greg, for this. See what happens. Folks at the league office are not... They might be, at times, mildly amused. They're not huge Lane Kiffin fans. They're not huge fans of anything. God forbid you talk about them. Well, and it's he's calling them on their BS. Yeah, that, that's what's happening yeah. here. What did he say that was a lie? Detect the lie. There's none. They find him for saying something that they agreed with, and, and I, I'm not. Again, I started this whole conversation by saying they should have fined him because the rule is you can't do it, right? And, and so they should have. But all he's doing is telling the truth here. It'd be different if he was like, hey, it's an Auburn conspiracy. Now you've got a problem. But all he's saying is, you guys screwed up. That's it. That's all he's done besides, besides be funny. Uh, the, the SEC's got, got to kind of walk a, a little bit of a tightrope here. I think. I don't think, you, I don't think you find him again. You handed it down, and once you know, tomorrow and Thursday come, we've got a full slate of games again for the first time in a couple of weeks. No cancellations, knock on wood. People will stop thinking about this unless the league does something again. They can let this go, and it'll disappear by Thursday. Somebody says, so all this fine money goes where, and how do I get on the payroll? All of the fine money that is collected goes toward funding postgraduate scholarships for the SEC. So, that's where it goes. 
They got a nice little boost to the scholarship fund this year. So far, they've collected three hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars. Penny coaches get uh, mask issues. Any coaches no not named Lane Kiffin, Jeremy Pruitt, or uh, Jimbo, it'll be an additional hundred thousand per. If any of those three get it, the next time it'll be for two hundred. Let's see here. Uh, Jason says, whole lot of Pig U fans, Arkansas, were asking about donating to his GoFundMe. By the way, there was a guy that set up a GoFundMe account to pay the $25,000 fine, which is a little absurd, but amusing nonetheless. It had over $2,000 in donations before being shut down. Uh, I don't know who shut it down. Imagine giving money to a millionaire. I mean, happens all the time. <laughs> the guy's the making three and a half million dollars a year, and he gets five twenty-five k. And you decide to give him your money? You're crazy. Last time, what's the last time a pro sports team paid for its own stadium? People give money to millionaires and billionaires all the time. True. That's mostly backroom political corruption, though. Oh, it it's is. not like they're voting in favor of it. No, but it's, yeah. It's, the people who are, are running those city councils are the same people who run athletic departments. They'll give in to any demands. Oh, hey, here, here's we'll what our I baseball would... team. Oh, we'll yeah. take our coach elsewhere. No, you won't. Here's um, here's what I would like to know that we're not going to know. What was the punishment for the replay official who screwed it up? Thank you. That's the problem here. He has to be at the Vanderbilt game this weekend. He better not you know, be, because you know who Vanderbilt you, plays this week? You, you know who Vandy's <laughs> playing on Saturday? <laughs> I forgot. I, I forgot. Never mind. Abort. Abort. That's uh, the thing here. That, that's there is so, no punishment. That's what's so frustrating, man. That's why people, and I, I podcasted about it last night, and I got some DMs from people who are like, thank you. It's not that, one guy said, it's not that I actually believe that the SEC is out to get us, meaning us meaning Ole Miss. He's like, but I really wish they would just stop hiding everything because what else am I supposed to think? And he's exactly right. What else is he supposed to think? That's why I'm not going to talk down to people who think it's a grand conspiracy, even though I disagree with them. Because what other evidence do they have that suggests that there's not something nefarious or foul going on with these decisions? Because it's all hidden. With the NFL example that was used yesterday, the NFC Championship game where the most egregious no-call on a pass interference in sports history happened that cost the Saints a trip to the Super Bowl. You want to know what none of those officials had? Ties to Los Angeles or the Rams. Yeah. And so you can't say those guys... And even though it's not fair in this case, like we talked about yesterday, it's really not. But nobody in that game could point to the NFL, those refs have ties to L.A., therefore they did that on purpose. But in this case, even though it's misguided, people can still point to something. We got a really – I'm trying to scroll back and see if – yeah, here it is. This was right as the show was ending. We didn't have a chance to get to this yesterday. And it sounds to me like this is from either someone who is an official or was an official. It says the SEC already has stringent background checks, including social media accounts. 
we also sign conflict of interest affidavits that we are, quote, supposed to identify any schools we have a conflict with. The SEC defines what those conflicts are. If an official wants to run the risk of not being truthful about affiliations, then they would lose their contract immediately. Go back and check the LSU basketball official from two years ago that had links to LSU and what happened to him. So maybe there's a little bit of insight there. Yeah, that must be an SEC ref, huh? Because he said we, right? Yeah, that that's why I yeah, pointed to that. Hey, just a thought here. And this has, um, I don't know, just, just thinking out loud. There are a lot of people that are posting pictures of dropping a bunch of pennies in a Ziploc bag and mailing them to the athletics department. Oh, we got a message that. here a second ago that says, uh, I'm loading up my five-gallon bucket full of pennies and going to take them, whatever. But if Lane Kiffin spun this thing into a great big positive and rolled out like a, uh, you know, pennies for something campaign. For progress. What is progress? I don't know. Define it how you want. Well, I was going to say, and then, you know, on behalf of college football fans, Ole Miss fans, however you want to do it, went and made a donation to Children's of Mississippi that's opening that new wing. It looks beautiful, by the way. I drove by it last weekend. Who knows how much money that is? Does it turn into $2,500? Does it turn into $25,000? You know, whatever the number is. I think you could spin this thing into a big-time win when it was all said and done. Got the 1987 World Series uh, between the Cardinals and the Twins on the uh, monitor in the studio right now. This just in, even in 1987, nobody's pants were as tight as Walker Bueller's. Come on, hey, Dad, that ought to give it a chuckle. I chortled a little bit. Old Todd Worrell on the mound for the Cardinals late. Ooh, nice. What about that name? Yeah, beat the Giants in the NLCS that year. Todd Worrell is now 61 years old. God, I have some of his rookie cards. (laughs) Yeah. He got called up in 85. Yeah. There's another All right, Borky. Go ahead and make some age jokes. Oh, well, here's another one that'll make you feel old. Yesterday was Michael Jordan's, the anniversary of his NBA debut. What, like the, gotta be what, the, the 40th? So, no, so he it made was, his debut in 86, right? No. Is that right? 80, 86? He made his so, debut in 84. 84, sorry. Thank you. So, so no, that would not be the 40th since we're in, currently in 2020. Be 36 years, though, right? Mm-hmm. That is a I mean, true I'm statement. close enough for government work here. Let's go. That is a true... Wait, the season started in October that's in 1984? It, uh, that's the traditional start month. Yeah. That was back when playoff games were on tape delay. It's true. Yeah. Imagine doing that. So I now. guess NBA teams in a normal cycle would be like nearing the end of training camp right now, or starting the and, season and by their now, exhibition yeah. games. Mm-hmm. Season would be underway. Who? They're they're planning on starting before Christmas Day, so they're going to have a quick turnaround for whatever that's worth. But 
I know that's not yeah. the primary focus of people around here. No, no. At some point, we'll get around to talking about Stan Van Gundy as the new head coach of the Pelicans. At his press conference today, I'm excited about him. Yeah. Don't follow him on coach. Twitter, though. Just, just don't. Extremely political, which is fine. It's your First Amendment right. You can do what you want. I'm just telling you, don't follow Stan Van Gundy on Twitter. Just, just don't. Unless, unless you're, you're into that sort of politically. Thing. Yeah. Uh, I do want us to circle back to the Kylan Hill story. So, operating off of Matt Zenitz's report at AL.com that he's opting out and going to the NFL draft, and with the caveat that. We've not independently confirmed that. Correct. What does this mean? What does it mean for Mississippi State? Is it a bad look? Does it matter? Did Kylan Hill make a mistake by returning this year, period? Let's start there. Uh, I think you can make that argument pretty easily. I think that, you know, when you take everything into account that he might have just been better served going ahead. and I mean, obviously, if you know then what you know now, he just goes ahead and goes to the NFL. Um, so, and of course, that, that that brings up a whole plethora of other questions, like does that day at the Capitol happen uh, without Kylan Hill? I don't know the answer to that. Um, but, yeah, I think if, if I could go back in time and give him advice in January, I'd be like, look, I know it's tempting, but you should probably just go ahead and, and – Make your way to the league. Friend of the the program, Ross Dellinger, uh, reported that he had some kind of an outburst after the Kentucky game. If that's related yeah. to lack of touches, then it's kind of on him, right? If if I mean, that was if after that's the Kentucky what, game, yeah. it shouldn't have been a lack of touches. He touched the ball twenty two times in that game. He had fifteen catches. Then the what the heck was the deal game. here? Just, uh, I think, frustration just boiling over mm. at the way that the the entire offensive unit is is playing, and uh, it just it just went badly for him. The the Twitter thing is exhausting. It is. The it is, and I mean, you don't have to deal with it the way that I do. Right. I mean, I just, oh, gosh, I couldn't imagine. I, I, I can't tell you how much how many texts I get in a day. That's like, did you see what Kyle said on Twitter? And it's it just you know you just I don't follow him on Twitter because I figure if he does anything that's super important. Somebody else will talk about it, and I can just piggyback off of them. Um, and the whole, yeah, it's just like I learned today that I'm, or whatever he said, I, I'm. It's news to me that I'm off the team. Well, are you on the team because you haven't played? So, so right, play or don't well, play. Figure it out. And his Instagram post talking about it. about it. It's it's game week, but I mean, I don't expect Kylan Hill to play this week at all. Uh, you know, we'll talk to Leach tomorrow in the in the press conference. It'll get brought up again. He'll probably say no update, no no availability again, and just. It's just a never-ending cycle. I do wish, yeah, somebody would step forward. I think that a lot of this, Richard, and, you know, just beyond Kylan Hill, you know, you had Schrader go, and then you had the three guys today. This is what would have happened in March. Maybe not with Kylan, but a lot of these guys would have figured out during the spring that there was no place for them at Mississippi State anymore. And you would have seen some attrition then. And it might have been better because then you could have brought some guys in from the portal. But this, this, is, this is what it's going to be like, you know, when when Moorhead was fired, Leach talked about needing a disciplinarian. It was obvious there were some culture issues. Some guys have got to go. It's just the way it is. So Mississippi State will see those guys leave via the portal, and then they will go right back to the portal to find guys to replace them. I expect State to be a, a heavy player in the transfer portal this year. Yeah, 
I, I mostly agree with what you're saying, that some of this would have happened in March. But I think sometimes it takes getting into a season as opposed to just practice time when things are, for the most part, fairly warm and fuzzy. Um, yeah. I don't know if you would have seen this much attrition in March. I don't know. And I don't I think understand why you opt out at this point. Like, like, why do you declare transfer portal at the halfway point of the season? Why, why going continue into going day? to practice? Why continue going to practice? Well, do you want to keep you, playing football? Well, yeah, but you're not. You, why risk getting an injury in practice and, and hurting your future career when you can just walk away now and start looking at your options? I mean, I like yeah, this job, true. but if I decide I'm going to leave, I'm not going to continue coming to work just because I like this job. Yeah. I wonder what NFL I mean, teams think about all this. Well, I, I talked about that a little bit on my podcast, and that's at the end of the day, NFL teams care about who, who can help them win. So if they feel like Kylan Hill can help them win, they'll 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 go after him. But he's going to have you know he's going to have some questions to, to face in the interview process. But if he goes out and puts together a good combine, and you know you've seen you got plenty of tape on him, and you know that you know by by sitting out this year and not getting very many touches. He's going to be relatively fresh starting next season. Yeah. He's got some things that make you, you want to draft him, but he also has some things that make you you know question whether or not you should draft him. That tweet from Ross Dellinger verbatim was, an outburst from Kylan Hill after the Kentucky loss resulted in a suspension, sources had previously told SI Now. AL.com reporting the expectation is he won't play again. A very fluid situation. Yeah, and that that is the expectation, but you know, until Mike Leach or Kylan Hill says something, it, we we're just sort of st- we're sort of stuck in that limbo. Yeah. The, the the Kentucky game thing is something that's been heavily rumored. Nobody at Mississippi State is going to confirm that one way or the other, but uh, it, it's something that yeah I, I've heard from a lot of different people. And there are a lot of people look that, that for for whatever reason. And, and we know a lot of the reason, who are like, fine, just move on, it's time to move on. And if your rationale for that is based on you don't align, you, you don't agree with how Kylan Hill handled himself over the summer with his threat to not play if the state flag wasn't changed, etc. If, if that's your issue, then your issue is probably misguided. But if you're saying everything that happens with Kylan Hill is filled with drama and it can't be good for the overall cohesiveness and chemistry of the team and therefore Mississippi State and Mississippi State football is better served by Kylan Hill moving on, I think that's a reasonable take. I, th- I feel at this point you're, you're not wrong, that there's just... There's just too much acrimony on both sides, you know. And that said, you know, very it's very rare that you get better by losing a good player, you know. Even with players that have attitude problems, you you want talented football players on your team, and sometimes you just have to suck it up and take it. Um, but in this instance, it, it appears that I mean, it just doesn't feel like there's going to be a reconciliation. So, like I said earlier in the show with Matt Zenitz's article, I agree with the premise of it. it just, I, it's just not official yet. Brian in Clarksdale says Hill is too good of a running back not to be used, got to run to set up the pass. 
Not in Mike Leach's offense. Not in this offense. Simple as that. And I feel like a broken record going back to that because we've talked about it so much, but that's... But we knew this was going to happen. We knew people were going to say that. It's just, you've got 120 years of running the football, and you're going to change it. Year one's going to be growing pains. And and look, I mean, we talked a lot about it during the offseason, and hey, Dad, I'm not throwing you under the bus when I say this, but, but you were consistently on board with the idea of, look, Running backs have been productive in Mike Leach's offense. They put up good numbers. He's not going to get as many carries, but he's going to be a huge part of the offense. Mm-hmm. And based on what we saw in game one against LSU, it's kind of what it looked like. Yeah. But then that production fell off. Yeah. There was no production running the football, and the production fell off in the passing game, and it appears then there was a disgruntledness that set in that boiled over and now leaves us expecting that most likely – he has played his last game at Mississippi State. Take you home. You Sports Talk Mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm. Thanks for being with us. Tuesday afternoon, ceasefire text line open, 601-879-4395. Poll question today, Michael Borgie, pretty simple one. Should the SEC have fined Lane Kiffin $25,000 for his tweets? Do we have any responses to that yet? Uh, let's see. Well, it's 85% say no. Uh, one response says yes, but only after they fire the folks in the replay booth. Maroon Mary says, if you don't find him, how are you going to find the next coach? Find them all or find none. This applies to all sports. Billy, Mississippi State fan, says, I'd rather they fix the problem with the officiating. That's two games that Auburn gets the win column that should have been losses. Maybe three. Possibly three. Uh, Terry Wilson did throw a pick six, though. I mean, you know, <laughs> that one's a little bit, a uh, little bit. No, it got called but... back too. Remember? Oh, that did get called back for a targeting. Way behind yeah. the play, too. Anyway, I mean, it was fourteen, a fourteen point swing and a twenty-one thirteen loss. And John says, by rule, yes. In actuality, no. Coaches should have the right to be critical of calls that change the game. So it's the same thing that you saw across the board on social media, which isn't the great indicator, but across the board last night. I mean, most everybody involved in covering college football thought that in the release from the SEC was was wrong. Uh, Blake says, I'm a state fan, and he got screwed twice. Tanya, unity brought us all together. The great divider. Do you remember back in December where we said, if nothing else, these two head coaching hires are going to give us plenty to talk about? And it almost felt like that was kind of like a, oh, roll your eyes, of course, that's what you're going to say. And yet here we are. And these two head coaches are giving us plenty to talk about. It's pretty impressive that a coach of a 1-3 and three team, or what are they, 1-3, and 1-4? One and four um, can make national news. Yet here he is. Yeah. Is this Ole Miss team equipped to look different in the second half of the season in terms of wins and losses than they did in the first half of the season in terms of wins and losses? Well, the schedule gets easier for one. It does. That, that certainly helps. Um, I mean, they can be. Uh, the last two weeks were self-inflicted wounds paired with a, an egregious officiating mistake. 
Remaining and, schedule for Ole Miss is Vanderbilt, South Carolina, Texas A&M, LSU, Mississippi State. Not in that order. Those are the five left. LSU possibly improved. Mississippi State, definitely a winnable game. South Carolina, definitely a winnable game. Vanderbilt's a game you should win. Um, Texas A&M, will, they will likely be a double-digit, maybe two-touchdown underdog. Possibly more, even if A&M keeps it up. It's right there. It's been right there. I mean, let's not forget it's, they had the, the football. State too. Yeah, exactly. Well, and that was a, that's exactly what I was about to ask. Hey, Dad. So Mississippi yeah. State one and four in the first half, just came off their yeah. open date. You get past this weekend, and then you get into November. Vanderbilt, obviously Georgia's tough. Vanderbilt, Auburn, Georgia, Ole Miss, Missouri. Outside of Georgia, every one of those games, State shouldn't be too big of an underdog. Could be will be favored against Vandy, and we'll see what happens in the last two. Those are winnable games, if you can find a little offense, which we'll see what happens. Yeah. I mean, I guess the difference when you look at the two down the stretch is that Mississippi State's got Alabama and Georgia in their final five. Ole Miss has neither Alabama nor Georgia in their final five. Yeah. I mean, the toughest remaining game on paper for Ole Miss is Texas A&M. The most difficult remaining game on paper for Mississippi State is Alabama, followed by Georgia, followed by Missouri, followed by Ole Miss, followed by Vanderbilt. If you had to pick one of those two schedules to play for the final five, I tend to think if your head is screwed on squarely, then you you pick the Ole Miss schedule to play play in the final five as opposed to the five that State has to play down the stretch. Yeah. I mean, the only difference, I mean, they both get Vanderbilt, and obviously they play each other. You know, South Carolina, Missouri feels like a little bit of a wash to me. I think I'd say South Carolina's probably a little bit easier game. Uh, Agreed. But, you know, the thing is, though, with A&M and, and LSU, I guess it's a little different for State, but LSU looks like they're, they're starting to figure some things out. So, I mean, if you call those losses, I mean, losses are losses. Obviously, Alabama and Georgia, there's less of a chance for State to win than for Ole Miss to beat A&M or LSU, but... Elvis has definitely got an easier schedule, but it's not by it's not by a huge margin. Yeah. John Harris from the Houston Texans will join us to start the five o'clock hour. Then we will have the college football fix. We will revisit the story out of Hattiesburg. We'll talk a little bit more about what's happening today in Starkville. We'll also look at the games coming up this weekend. I keep promising we'll talk about the NFL. We need another hour. Sports Talk Mississippi streaming its. o'clock hour with you sports talk mississippi streaming at supertalk.fm ceasefire text line is open 601-879-4395 let's go to the farm bureau phone line check out favorites.com and go with the home team mississippi farm bureau it's been several weeks since we've had a chance to visit with our guy john harris with the houston texans sideline reporter there Covers the Texans at Texans.com, does radio and TV in the Houston area, and is just an all-around good dude. John Harris, uh, Johnny, I'm assuming things have not gone exactly the way they were drawn up going into this season for the old Texans. Oh, you said a mouthful right there. You know, it's funny. Today I was working on something. I was like, you know, where were we last year when we went into the bye week? We were coming back from London. And six and three. We had just beaten Jacksonville by 23. We felt great about what we were doing, how we looked, 
I mean, the whole everything. It was just all coming together. This year we go into the bye one and six. There's trade deadline talk. Is J.J. Watt going to be there? Oh, it's just one year's time has just it, – it, it's been incredible, Richard. It has been uh, a study in uh, human behavior, in decision-making. I mean, it's really – one of these days we'll write a book about these first seven games and hopefully uh, we can forget them. But having uh, a coach fired after four games, a coach that – made a couple of the trades that will go down in Houston history as maybe the worst in this city's history. And there's been some bad ones, but maybe the worst and how it's impacted this team and this organization for years. Uh, it's been as, about as rough uh, a time as I can remember being around this organization. Where are the Texans going to go in the offseason with regard to the head coaching position? Any and I know maybe you got to kind of be careful about what you say, but is there an idea at this point? Well, I would imagine if Lane Kiffin doesn't like paying twenty five grand to the SEC officials, he could come to Houston um, because Lane would hmm. coach up our quarterback and turn him into the one of the three best in the league. And look, he's playing; Deshaun's playing very well statistically, but there's just refinement to his game that's got to take place. And I I'll be sure to tell him don't... on Saturday, by the way, that you think he can get the Houston job if he wants it. Yeah, uh, yeah, tell him that. And then um, you might want to duck uh, at that point. Look, he's, he's going to get Ole Miss going in the right direction. And, I mean, the thing is, it's already a fun team to watch from afar. But it's got to be somebody that can come in. First of all, Richard, I'll say this. It's got to be somebody that comes in with a positive air about them. And I say that because by the end of his run here in Houston, Bill O'Brien had gotten so ne- – he had created such a negative vibe in the building. And it was everything. I mean, from you know, his interactions with me, with his interactions with uh, upper management, with – I mean, he was upper management, with the owner. I mean, it was, it was not with the players. It, they needed – when he walked out of the building that day that he was let go, J.J. Watt tweeted a picture of NRG Stadium's roof open and sunshine coming in. And there was no hmm. secret. Everybody knew exactly what J.J. was referring to. Uh, so it's got to be somebody with a positive spirit. But I think it's got to be somebody that comes in and can take Deshaun Watson to a different level. Now, the question is... Can Eric Bieniemy be that guy? I think he could be, absolutely. I think Eric Bannamy could be that guy. I don't think he's the only guy, but, I, but I, I think he could be part of it. Now, here's the other issue. Our defense stinks. So we've gone from having one of the better defenses in the league annually, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18. We've had really good defenses, and all of a sudden we just have, we've just disintegrated. And, and a lot of that has to do with personnel. So I really wouldn't be opposed to having somebody with a defensive mindset that could come in and kickstart that side of the ball and then turn to some young hotshot offensive coordinator and said, hey, run this thing the way it needs to, get the most out of Deshaun Watson, go. You know, a Joe Brady-type NFL version sort of thing. Um, that's what this organization needs. But it's got to be coming from a positive mindset. Uh, Bill O'Brien did not set this organization up to be successful in the future. And that really has left a stain 
so Eric Bieniemy is going to be in the mix. There's no doubt. Greg Roman's name has been thrown out there. Um, you know, also Brian Dable is a name that some people in SEC remember his days at Alabama yeah. a few years ago. He's done very, very well with Josh Allen up in Buffalo. And a lot of people around the league thought that was not going to happen. There is no way you could tame the white horse that is Josh Allen, and he's turned into a, potentially an MVP candidate um, with the way that he's playing. So John, there, those are the big no, things I, out there that we've heard. Yeah, I was just going to say, sometimes mixed results on the whole college to the NFL thing. And there are a lot of people that laughed at the Cliff Kingsbury hire in Arizona, but they laughed because it was like, yeah, part of his you know resume was – you know, uh, once used a urinal uh, close to Sean McVay. And and so yeah. maybe you get the exact same results. And yet the results are pretty darn good. And he's got a transcendent quarterback, we think, in, in Kyler Murray. Is there a guy that's in college football that falls into that comparable category? That's a great question. You know, it's interesting you bring them up because obviously they were on the other end of that trade getting DeAndre Hopkins which has really yeah. helped Kyler Murray. But one of the aspects that I think has to be in line is fit. You cannot go out and get a hard-nosed, you know, old-school kind of coach that wants to be in 21 personnel and believes you win with a run game and defense and making the head coach of this football team. That's, that isn't going to work. So as it pertains to college coaches, you know, it's funny, I think – the NFL sort of sees itself as, uh, you know, that guy at the country club that just has more money than everybody else and is just like, oh, you don't belong near me. That's kind of the way, in some sense, the way the NFL has looked at college for so long. But what I've seen over the last seven to ten years, the NFL might think that, but then they're like, hey, check out what Lincoln Riley's doing. Let's try and do that. Hey, look at what, uh, Lincoln, look at what Joe Brady was doing at LSU. Not only did they think that was good, they went and got the guy um, and brought him to the NFL. So I've always said high school and college coaches are the most creative out there. The NFL are the biggest copiers. So I do and, it, think- and it's interesting because we've kind of gone from trickle down from the NFL to college and high school in terms of yep. scheme to trickle up in, in terms of what's happening at the high school level, it's happening in the college level, and now it's transitioning to the NFL all over the place. Absolutely. You hit it right on the head, Richard. That goes on more than you'd think. I, I've said this, if you want to get a good idea, go talk to a high school coach that doesn't have the personnel that some other high schools do because you got to figure out a way to win on a Friday night and you might have one kid that can play and five that can't chew gum and walk at the same time, and that coach has got to find a way to do it. And, you know, I, I learned that early in my coaching career that, you know what, yeah, guys are going to win if they got a lot of talent, but those aren't the coaches I want because – they only know one way of doing it, and that is, hey, let's roll up the ball and just let our athletes go play. I want the guy that says, you know what, eh, this athlete's not that great. Uh, but I think that even works at the NFL level, too, where the talent seemingly is the same or close. What separates them? Well, what separates them is innovation, creativity, fit. Um, and then, you know, you might take a chance on a guy that you normally would not have, and that works out. I give you the Kansas City Chiefs and Tyreek Hill. I remember when Tyreek was drafted, I texted my buddy at the time, Chris Ballard, who's the director of player personnel, and I was like, you nuts? And he goes, yeah, this one, might, this one might cost us. Not only has it not cost the Chiefs, it got Ballard the GM job with the Colts, and the Chiefs hmm. ended up turning Tyreek Hill into the best offensive threat in the entire league. So 
That was a calculated risk. So I think all of that goes into it. But I think fit is very important. I, you know, Dabble Sweeney's name gets brought up a lot because of his ties to Sean Watson. I, I don't know if that's the right fit, but I absolutely want to question him and am not opposed to a college coach coming in and getting it done. Look, one of the best of all time, one of the best turnarounds of all time was the Dallas Cowboys in the early 90s. Who did that? A college coach, Jimmy Johnson. It Jimmy can be Johnson. Done. It absolutely can be done. we got to find our Jimmy Johnson to turn us into a championship organization. Hey, only got a minute left total. Um, I know you saw him run the three-cone drill, but and, and it wasn't great, but do you think when it's all said and done, DK Metcalf may work out in the NFL? How many times did I tell you that, man? I, I, <laughs> listen, I, the, the NFL is guilty of a lot of things, and overthinking them is a big one. And, and I, I get this in our building the last couple of weeks, kind of behind the scenes. That Look, there's a lot of talk about Hopkins being traded a couple of years ago. And I told my guys, I was like, look, if that was the case, then why in 2019 did we have two picks in the second round at 59 and 60 and not take a guy like D.K. Metcalf? Because that's exactly what we needed. Now you can shop Hopkins and you got the replacement. But no, we didn't do that. We went out and got a tackle that can't play guard and we got a corner that we had to move to safety and Seattle gets one of the top five receivers potentially in the league. So, yep. uh, yeah, how's that working out? How's that John, we don't out? have time to do it today, but I want your opinion the next time we talk, and I hope it's soon, on whether or not Dan Mullen would make a good NFL coach. Always enjoy the conversations, my friend. You got it, Richard, and yes. The answer is yes. John Harris from the Houston Texans on the Farm Bureau phone line. We'll be right back. Interesting kind of a final shot. What are you doing? Final shot, parting word, when I said uh, to John that we were going to talk next time about whether or not Dan Mullen would make an NFL a good NFL coach. That was in response to a message that Jason sent us on the C Spire text line where he said Dan Mullen would be a great NFL coach, also P.J. Fleck and Gary Patterson. Maybe so, and I think you heard the very, very brief response, which we rarely get from, uh, from John Harris. We'll have him elaborate on that next time we talk to him about why Dan Mullen would be a good fit in the NFL because you heard his answer was yes, he would. Uh, we got another uh, text. Says Mullen should give the NFL a shot if he gets a chance. He's got enough street cred to get another college job in the same mode of Chip Kelly. Yeah, I agree with that. Mullen and Houston be very interesting with Deshaun Watson to talk about a, a guy who would fit what Mullen likes to do offensively. Uh, we got a, a message earlier from Brian. He said Leach's philosophy has him one in three. This is the SEC. And here was my response to Brian. I said, are you suggesting that he should bail on the philosophy that has served him well for the last 25 years and got him the job because they are one in three in year one of a season that includes no non-conference games on top of not having spring practice? That seems like an awfully small sample size to stop dancing with the one that brung you. Brian says, I'm a Razorback fan and wanted Leach. Still need to run the ball more. That's fair enough. But I, I do think the whole you abandon your system so that you can theoretically win immediately when it's not in the best long-term interest of what you want to do is is a short-sighted one. And I don't think it's one that Mike Leach is going to make. He does not subscribe to that theory, no. If it's the same conversation two years from now, then... Then we can have mm-hmm. these conversations. And yep, it makes d- sense different to story have then. at that point. Yeah. yeah. And that's true I mean, for re- everybody. It's, it's not a Mike Leach thing. Yeah, you're right. If the results two years from now look like they do right now, then 
you have the conversation of, okay, you tried this philosophy in the SEC and it didn't work. There are a lot of people that said it would work. There are a lot of people that said it wouldn't work. We found out that it didn't work. I mean, Kiffin has got you know become the internet darling, and and his the team is certainly more exciting and more competitive than it was a year ago. But they're one and four, and yeah. so if we get to a couple years down the road and they're not winning football games, well, all of that's going to be forgotten. Sure. All right, time for the uh, college football fix. Maybe. College football fix is driven by Ford and your local Mississippi dun, Ford dun, dealers. Dun, 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 we can't make it happen. It's it's not, just not one to play. Everything's on. I don't know. So be it. It's truck month at your local Mississippi Ford dealer. Check out the F-150, the best-selling truck in America for 43 straight years. You can test drive one at your local Mississippi Ford dealers. We referenced this article earlier but didn't really get into it. Not even there college music, is. but I got music. So Fair enough. Uh, Patrick McGee at the Sun-Herald had this story. He writes, the issue of money as a limitation, or I'm sorry, the issue of money is a limitation that every group of five program deals with when it tries to hire a new coach, and that's no different at Southern Miss. Jay Hobson was making $500,000 a year in base salary. That was the lowest in Conference USA. However, Jeremy McClain believes that he will put forward a competitive offer to his preferred candidate. Here's the quote from Jeremy McClain. My plan is that we're resourced in a way where we can be in the top half of the conference. I'll say the top five in Conference USA. That doesn't mean just the head coach's salary. That's just one piece. You also have the assistant coach's budget, and you want to make sure you're resourced in the right way. It will depend on who we hire, just like any job. It'll be dictated by the market, but we're going to put ourselves in the right position. As a whole, from the resourcing standpoint, we want to make sure we're in the top part of the conference. Here are the top seven head coaching salaries in Conference USA based on the USA Today Coaches Salary Database. Seth Luttrell at North Texas makes $1.85 million. Bill Clark at UAB makes a million and a half. Mike Bloomgren at Rice. Not sure about return on investment here, but here you go, $1.33 million. Butch Davis at FIU makes $1.04 million. Rick Stockstill at Middle Tennessee, $912,500. Will Healy at Charlotte makes eight fifty five, dollars And Ricky Rain at Old Dominion makes $775,000. So that's the top seven currently in Conference USA. So if you're looking at top five in terms of head coaching salaries, you're looking at north of $900,000. But again, Jeremy McLean points to the fact that it's not just the head coaching salary, it's the assistant pool as well. And so if you go and hire Will Hall from Tulane, who is currently the offensive coordinator there, do we happen to know, by the way, how much Will Hall makes at Tulane? Maybe maybe one of you guys can look that up. Um, if you go down that road, not only do you have to probably pay Will Hall a million dollars a year, you've got to give him the ability to go out and hire a competitive coaching staff. And it's a group that can recruit and that can coach. That's what you got to go get. C Spire text line. We got this one earlier. Tulane Why not give Art Riles a shot? Say what? Tulane being a private university, they don't have that information. Okay. Fair enough. 
question is, why not give Art Bryles a shot at Southern Miss? Well, we've, we've been down that road once with Jay Hobson trying to hire Art Bryles as the offensive coordinator. It was going to happen, and the backlash was spread far and wide. And ultimately, the university president, Dr. Rodney Bennett, said, no, we're not doing it, and had to shut it down. They're not going to revisit that. You can win without bringing guys like that on. Um, so, you, new audience, and, new hour. It's what I said at the beginning of the show. You don't, if you're Southern Miss, you can win without getting somebody who has some serious baggage that will win. I mean, you, you can do that, but I don't think you have to. And, and Bryles would be that guy. His baggage significantly worse than that of Hugh Freeze is what we were talking about earlier. But you can find a guy that will win you football games that will not make you. Uh, the product of nasty national news every single time you play a game. Tony and Laurel says a big no to Will Hall. He runs a boring offense at Tulane and has a family history of anti-USM. Okay. Kermit Davis went to Mississippi State. I mean, yeah. Two of the top players in the state are committed to Tulane right now. They go to Taylorsville and Laurel High Schools, uh, respectively. So, you know... Maybe rethink that. I mean, honestly, man, there are people that you you could ha- he could hate Southern Miss himself. Grew up just hating Southern Miss, but if they're willing to give him a nice payday, he will learn to love hey, Southern Miss. What do I always say? You know, they're, they're, everybody's got a price. Yep. I put on that powder blue polo for the right price. And boring offense. You and I have different definitions of boring. No. I, I I lived through the Sylvester Croom era. So, yeah. <laughs> Jamie Chadwell is the coach at uh, Coastal Carolina. We got a message a second ago from Herschel. He said the coach from Coastal Carolina, Jamie Chadwell, was the name that was dropped on the Eagle Hour today. Supposedly, he's got some ties with USM's AD. Yeah, Luke mentioned that earlier this afternoon when we uh, we talked uh, about him. Somebody says nobody USM hires will be good enough for that fan da- base. They are delusional. Okay. Ooh. Mike in Oxford says, would primetime leave JSU before coaching a game? No, I don't think so. Wouldn't He's, uh, he's looking so. for a house. Big property out in Florida, I think. Somewhere like that. Oh, yeah. what's, what's JSU paying him? Do we know? 300000 right, so, so And then there's some incentives there as well. But he's also he's talking about not caring about money. I don't think that money's a big deal for Deion Sanders on that one. Speaking of Coastal Carolina, have you seen their center? He's five foot nine. Five nine, I'm taller like, than him. like 275, and he's a bulldog, man. And, and, and Jamie Chadwell said, I don't really care how big he is. If he can block him, then he's good enough. Oh, and he can do just that. I'm walking on. I've still got eligibility. I'll get in the way. Jason says Tulane's offense is not boring. Yeah, uh, Jeremy McLean hired Jamie Chadwell at Delta State years ago. That'd be big time. Coastal right now, uh, on the smaller scale, is kind of the story of college football. Out of nowhere, I mean, winning games, they're ranked now. They beat Kansas. Uh, they're, if they would pull that hire off, that would make waves as a significant hire. Bo from Gulfport says, for the love of God, would somebody please call Buddy Stevens? 
I, I don't hate that idea. Trent says, if Leach doesn't work out, do we start looking at our AD? That's a great question. Two bad football hires. That's tough to overcome. But let's let's get through, you know, half of Leach's first season before we make those kind of decisions. Apparently ESPN is confirming the report from AL.com that Kylan Hill is planning to opt out, according to sources. True or false? When College Game Day comes on the air on Saturday morning, September 14th, the first words out of Reese Davis's mouth will be, Hello, friends. It's got to be, right? It has to be that way. Either that or a tradition unlike any other. It's one of those two. That's the only way you can start. Yeah. Fred Ridley, chairman of Augusta National Golf Club, announced earlier today the 2020 Masters Tournament scheduled for the week of November 9th through the 15th will provide an expansive slate of content across multiple platforms, including College Game Day, live from Augusta National. Studio will be staged overlooking Ike's Pond and the number nine green of the par three course. Which will not be used this year. It will not be used. The par three contest has been canceled for 2020. If you were walking up the fairway on number 18, trying to kind of give you a little bit of an idea of where their setup will be. So if you're walking up 18, you got 18 green, and then kind of off to the left behind 18 green a little bit, behind where the fans normally are, that's where the original part of the clubhouse is. And then kind of like if the top of the green is 12 o'clock, like off at about 2 or 2.30, kind of over and down the hill, that's where the par 3 course is. So that's where they will be set up. I'm assuming there will not be signs in the background. <laughs> I can't imagine that. Uh, that. I can't imagine that the membership of Augusta National and Chairman Fred really would have signed off on that. I think it's cool. And Borky, you mentioned this back in a long time ago. Yeah, back in the summer, just threw it out there. And really, all of our reactions were: I mean, that's interesting, but there's no way Augusta agrees to that. And yet, That's exactly here we are. what we said, yeah, yeah. Um, I love it honestly because it, it is a weird year, and there are some college football people that are mad about this for some reason that don't like it. Twenty two, it's such a bizarre year. This is the first time the Masters, and the last time, hopefully, the Masters will be on a college football Saturday. ESPN airs them both to some degree. No, say do. again. It does ESPN has some rights to the Masters, don't they? Or is it exclusively yeah, thir- all the Thursday Friday coverage? Yeah. So ESPN has the rights to it. They also have to air college football games. Why not just one time cross them over to to give us something unique and interesting this year? Because everything is unique and interesting at best. I love it. It's going to be really cool to see. Hopefully, they get Corso there this time to see Corso put on a mascot head with the most beautiful golf landscape you could see behind him. Just that kind of stuff. 
is what I want to see more of from our sports coverage, this crossover stuff. Even though you would like to see as part of his picks, if Corso were happen to uh, were to happen to travel, which I don't really think will happen for this. Yeah, they've avoided it. I do not think, even though you might think, oh, it would make sense, you will see Lee Corso in a green jacket. Oh, they're, no, they're very particular. Sort of like the Auburn mascot head. You're not going to get that. Um, Jason asks a, a kind of an interesting question, and here's why I think it's interesting. So in particular with the Masters, you have a working relationship between ESPN and CBS. Now, they are independent of each other. They bring their own production stuff in. There's there's you know plenty of room for everybody. But Jason asked the question, is Uncle Vern going to be the guest picker on College Game Day? Vern Lundquist, longtime CBS employee, whole announcer at number 16 at Augusta. I think you could also ask the question, would you bring Jim Nance on as the guest picker? But I wonder if the relationship, as it pertains specifically to College Game Day and, I'm sorry, to CBS and the SEC and ESPN, I wonder if that relationship is too far gone to be able to do that. Because Vern would be a great guest picker for College Game Day on Saturday at the Masters. But the other piece of this is the Masters is going to be going on while this is happening, and I'm not sure that you can pull Jim Nance away from watching the tournament or Vern Lundquist away from covering the tournament. I don't know. You're talking about half an hour away from their perch. Again, it's 2020. Just just have fun with it. Just just do the right things and, and give people what they want this year. Come on. And don't you think the crossover promotion would be worth it? Yeah. I would think so. Yeah. I would think 100%. so. Somebody asked if the Washington State flag will make it to Augusta. I have not noticed. Has the Washington State flag been in attendance at game day this year? Every at each week. of the sites? Yep. They've found a way. Not standing in the background waving. I remember Wake Forest, the, the guy was like in the parking lot or something away from the set, but it's made it. You think maybe they'll have like the Washington State flag outside of John Daly's motor home on Washington Road next door to the Hooters for this one? Makes sense, right? John Daly, he's in a battle right now. Whew. Uh, I don't know. I think it's cool. I think it's really cool. Ridley said, when exploring ways to showcase a fall Masters, we were drawn to the concept of hosting College Game Day at Augusta National to introduce the tournament to a new audience. Is it really a new audience? And provide even more anticipation and excitement to the event. We appreciate the collaboration with ESPN, our longtime broadcast partner, for this first-of-its-kind opportunity. I think it's a new audience in a sense that there are going to be a lot of people that you know, even though it's obvious that the Masters wasn't played in April, that will be like, oh yeah, that's this weekend. Or, or yeah. have to, that, that kind of thing. The casual viewer of the tournament kind of has to be reminded it exists because it's football weekend. In terms of television coverage on Thursday and Friday, you will get noon central to 4.30 central on ESPN. On Saturday, you will get noon to 4 Central on CBS on Sunday, you will get nine to two playing the final round a little bit earlier because of two things. One, days are getting shorter, and two, NFL conflicts. 
So uh, consecutive years, the final round will start earlier than it has traditionally. Look, I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna beat up on Augusta for their decisions here. But why can't we have TV coverage the way we have for the U.S. Open or the Open Championship or the PGA? It doesn't make any sense. You don't get Give to see us half wall the course. To wall. And, and they've opened that up a little bit with their their featured group. So there is new technology that was rolled out last year called Every Shot, Every Hole. Masters Digital will unveil the My Group feature for the 2020 tournament. Similar to a personally tailored featured group, My Group allows fans from around the world to build a personalized feed of every shot from their favorite players, ensuring they won't miss any of the action during the tournament. So you now have the technology in place and the cameras throughout the course to get every single shot. Just give it to me on big TV. Just give it to me on big TV. Let ESPN come on the air at 8.30 Central, 9.30 Eastern, or 7.30 Central, 8.30 Eastern, and show me the ceremonial first shots live, and then roll right into coverage. And then stick with it until the last shot of the day is done. But that's just me. It's all about Mike preserving exclusivity. Yeah. Mike in Oxford says game day would be better would better serve their constituents by being in Huntington, West Virginia for the 50th anniversary of the plane crash. I'm sure Tom Rinaldi will be covering that. Don't it, and we will all cry. Weren't they supposed to have a special game and something like that earlier in the season and that got eliminated because of COVID? Yes. It was supposed to be the first game of the season. Yeah, they they had a plan to commemorate all of that and it went like everything else has so far this year. Hmm. A year unlike any other. I've cried in two movies in my life. That's We Are Marshals, one of them. What was the other? Marley and Me. Hmm? Oh, gosh. my, My poor mother. So my childhood dog passed away. I was 16. And he was 14. So he was my my dog, you know, my buddy. And like a week later, this movie comes out, and my mom doesn't know how it's going to end, and she says, Michael, let's go see this movie. You know, I'm help cheer you up a little bit. Oh, no. Uh, oh, no. That, uh, that final scene with the with our, the cameras going down the line and the injection, which is the exact thing I watched like 10 days prior, it wrecked me. Brutal. Super Talk Mississippi Media Production.